Good morning, church. Welcome here. Some of you, you're just back after uh, summer at the cottage, weekends at the trailer through the summer. Uh, some of you, you've just come, come through a busy harvest season. You got the morning off with this rain. And uh, anyway, it's glad to, good to all be back together again. Uh, it, it does kind of feel like New Year's around here. You know that feeling at New Year's, right? It's, it's like you get a, a, a fresh start, a new beginning all over again. You get to hit the reset button. You know, it's that time of year when you, um, you know, you can kind of take your eyes off of the day-by-day responsibilities, obligation, and, and you take a step back and you look at the big picture and you ask yourself, what sort of life do I want? What do I want to do? Who do I want to be? And maybe we kind of set some goals for ourselves. Anyone made a New Year's resolution back in January that still has not broken it? Anybody? You're pathetic. All of you, just not one person. Um, that's all right, me neither. Uh, it does kind of feel like New Year's around here, around the church this time of year. We've come through holiday season. We're getting back in the swing of things. It's a great opportunity for us as a church and as individuals to step back and take a look at the big picture again. And uh, for us as a church, the big picture, we call it our mission statement. It's something that hopefully you'll hear from time to time. You see it on the front of your bulletin there every Sunday. This is our mission statement. This is why we exist as our church. Our mission is to make disciples who experience new life in Jesus Christ, who express new life to one another, and who extend new life to those who don't yet know God. That's why we're here as a church. Uh, And so what we're doing through the month of September is we're going through a series we've called Choices. We're looking at four good choices we encourage everybody to make that we believe if you make them uh, are really going to make a difference in your life. If you're a part of the church, we're going to call these commitments to make. Four key commitments that we call all of you to make uh, that uh, I think will, will just allow you to embrace this mission in your own lives. But I didn't call the series commitments. I called it choices because who likes commitments, right? Um, but what is a commitment? A commitment is a choice you make over and over again, isn't it? I mean, when you got married, you, you, you made a commitment. But you got to wake up every morning if you're married and decide to stay married, right? It's a choice you make over and over again. For those of you who have a job, at one point you maybe chose your job, but, but there are mornings you got to wake up and you got to choose that job again, over and over again. A commitment is just a choice that we have to make over and over. And so what we're going through as a church, four key commitments that we, um, we call each one of you uh, to make. So last week, if you were here, um, we looked at that first choice. Now, the first part of our mission statement is, is to lead people to experience new life in Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, we looked at just one key verse, one statement of Jesus. We find in John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I have come that you might have, anyone remember? I have come that you might have life and that you might have that life to the fullest. That you might have the best life possible, Jesus says. That's why I've come. And, and so the, the, the decision that we called people to last week was to choose Christ. To choose Christ. To commit to bring Jesus Christ to the center of your life. 
Because we believe, as Jesus said, that if he is at the center of your life, your life will be better. Your life will be better with Jesus at its center. And so some of you, you can remember the point when, when you did invite Jesus into your life, when you gave your life to him and you invited him into the center, but you know that you've got to make that decision every day because sometimes he gets off center. We don't always keep him where he ought to be. And so last week we talked about uh, the commitment to keep choosing to put Christ at the center of our lives. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the second choice, the second commitment we call you to make. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's, that's all right. We're going to throw those words there up on the screen. That's a, a little book near the end of the Bible written by Peter. Peter was uh, one of the 12 disciples. We might even say was the chief disciple, kind of the spokesman for the group. And he writes this letter kind of in, in his older age to the church. And uh, let's read it. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse, oh, sorry, starting in verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers old over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Essentially what Peter's calling all of us to do is to choose a cause. This is the second choice, good choice to make. And we're going to talk about what that means to choose a cause. Peter began there in verse 7 by saying, the end of all things is near. And when you hear that, what do you think? You think of the guy with like the sandwich board walking down Main, Main Street calling people to repentance. And what does he mean when he says the end of all things is near? After all, he wrote it 2,000 years ago. Was he wrong? When he says that, he, he doesn't mean kind of like what I would say to my kids. You can, you can wait. We're 10 minutes to grandma's house. You can hold it. You can hold it. We're almost there. He wasn't trying to suggest that. He thought that Jesus Christ, as he had promised, would return to kind of usher in his kingdom in fulfillment. Um, Peter's talking about the imminence of Jesus coming back. The imminence. Essentially saying, guys, at any time, at any time, he could be back. It could be the day. So this is really Peter's way of saying carpe diem, Christians. What carpe diem means? Seize the day. That's how he begins. Christians, seize the day. If Peter's question is how do we live in light of the future, how do we seize the day, his answer uh, he gives us here uh, in verse... um, How do you seize the day? He says, love one another deeply. Like, really love one another. 
is his answer. Now, now the second part of our church's mission statement, um, after leading people into an experience of new life in Christ, is to express that new life to one another. That's what we're about. Loving one another deeply. As Peter says here, what does that mean? I mean love. That's a big word. What does it mean to love? Well, he kind of elaborates here in verse 10. What does it mean to love one another? He says it means to serve one another. To serve one another. Essentially, Peter here is saying, make the choice to serve one another. Make that choice. We all like music here. I think, most of us. And we, we have different, anybody at the Metallica show this last week? No one wants to admit it because they know they're going to be shamed in church. I bet Quentin was there. I bet Craig Ozerny was there. Shame on them. Anyway, each to their own, each to their own. But um, we all like various types of music. You maybe heard of the one-man band. What, what, would you rather listen to this type of music? Um, you know, a guy with his fingers on the accordions, uh, or on the keys, blowing out of a kazoo with his mouth, maybe blowing a trumpet out of his nose, moving his leg like this to pull the string to beat the drum, all these things together, playing all these instruments, trying to create music. Would you rather listen to that, or would you prefer this? Now, would anybody prefer the first one? Got to grow up if that's you. This is the symphony orchestra. Now, I've gone a few times. In fact, when we were just newly married, Eric and I, before we had any kids, she was given two tickets to the symphony orchestra. It happened to be a concert on a Saturday night, the same time as the Flames-Oilers game on Hockey Night in Canada. And I was a big Flames fan back in the day. In fact, if you go to my office, I, I got a limited edition print of the 95 Calgary Flames. I love the Calgary Flames. Anyway, so it was kind of hard for me to go, and I was kind of bugging her about it, but we, we went out to a nice meal, and then we were going to go out to the symphony orchestra, and, and uh, we were at this nice restaurant in Winnipeg, and, and, I, and I was tucking into my fettuccine Alfredo, and all of a sudden I had this chest pain, and I fainted, and my head fell into my food, and then I fell out of the stall onto the floor, and I, I woke up with people looking at me, and Erica screaming and um, d didn't know what was happening. And, um, and so we went to the hospital, and it was great. In the waiting room of the hospital, as we waited for hours, what do you think they had on TV? Yeah, got to watch the game. Now, she thinks that was a ploy to get out of the orchestra. She still to this day, she thinks I faked the whole thing so I could get out of the orchestra to watch the Flames game. But she's not right. I just have a terribly low pain threshold. And uh, I'm not sure what had happened there. But anyway, the truth is I love the symphony. I love the symphony. If, you, if you've ever, ever been there, it's, an inc it's incredible when you take all these people, all with different instruments, violins, violas, cellos, bass. Are there more? Drums, timpani, trumpets, French horn, tubas, trombones, Clarinets, saxophones, flutes. 
There's no flutes in a, is there? That's a serious instrument? Flute? I thought that was for little kids. No. Oh, that's the recorder. That's the recorder. Everybody, okay, playing their instrument, their individual instrument, and when you hear that sound of all those instruments, each different instrument playing a different part, different notes, but they all fit together, it's pretty powerful. The sound, the layers, the fullness, the harmony of it all, it's quite a thing. I think Peter essentially is saying the church is like the symphony. You are God's symphony. Each one of you, he says, has a part to play. Each one of you has been given an instrument. That's what he says. Verse 10. Peter says, each of you, not some of you, not some of you who have gifts, use them, some of them who have a part, as if some are on the stage and some are in the audience listening. No, he says, you're all in the symphony. Each one of you has been given a part. You've each been given gifts by God to be used to serve one another. Now, that word gifts there uh, is, 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 can trip us up a little bit. It's, it's a very broad word. It's simply the word grace. It's the same word. Charismata. He's talking about things of God's grace. In other words, they're not things that you maybe earned or deserved. This is something that God has just given you. The way he's made you. The way he's wired you. The passions he's given you. The personality traits he's given you. God's grace in your life. These gifts that he has given you. Now we, we often call them spiritual gifts. And that I think kind of trips trips us up a little bit because the Bible never uses the term spiritual gifts. Um, As if there's like spiritual gifts and then there's just run-of-the-mill other gifts. The Bible never makes that distinction. There are only gifts given by God's Spirit to be used to serve others and to give God glory. And so in the New Testament, at various points, you have a list of some of these gifts. Romans chapter 12 talks about the gift of Faith, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, of teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives more gifts, different kinds of gifts. Words of knowledge and healing and prophecy and the speaking of tongues. Ephesians 4, we see other gifts. In Peter 4, in our text, there's other ones yet, and no two are alike. And what we're supposed to understand is there is no final exhaustive list of the sort of gifts that God gives a person. It's open-ended. Okay? A gift is any skill, talent, or ability, any passion that God has given you, any expertise, any experience, any resource, anything he's put into your hands or into your heart that you can use to serve other people for his glory. That's a gift. That's God's grace in our life. And that can take so many different forms. In fact, some of you read the newspaper. Um, I think it was in the Selkirk Journal. Maybe it was in the Argus here. Uh, an article about three young farmers in our church. Nick Matheson was one of them. Nathan Tolinar, Andrew Harris was the other. Three young farmers that a couple years ago came up with an idea. Hey, um, 
We're all farmers. We've got equipment. We've got expertise. Why don't we come together and why don't we do a project together, okay, to farm a piece of land, to raise support through the Canadian Food Grains Bank to, like, help a whole lot of people. That was a pretty cool idea. A couple of years ago, we, we took up an offering here. It had about $7,000 that you gave, that we gave to them, and then they went and they did their thing. They farmed. And in the last couple of weeks, you harvested the canola, took it off the field, you brought it to the wherever you bring, that sort of thing. And then they did whatever they do with that sort of thing. <laughs> I just eat it. That's just, that's my part. Anyway, so they don't have the final numbers, but, but in the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear what your $7,000 turned into. Thanksgiving Sunday, you're going to hear the final number, what came off the field, what the government times by four, and what actually goes out there to help hungry people. You're going to be blown away. How it multiplied. And, and, and it really all began with three farmers that saw their, their, their equipment, their expertise as a gift as God's grace to them, something that they could use to serve other people in Jesus' name. What has God given you? I mean, it's unending. Paul even uses that exact same word that, that, that we have often called spiritual gifts, charismata. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 7 to talk about marriage as a gift, talk about singleness as a gift, things to be, things to be faithful stewards of to serve others. What has God put in your hands, in your mind, in your heart that you can use to serve other people? What part has he made you to play? We also think about that because often we don't recognize those things in our life that are really gifts. We just haven't seen them that way. Peter says, we each play a part, but then he says, and each part is different. There's a whole bunch of different parts, just like in a symphony. You wouldn't want to listen to like a hundred anything. I mean, I love the violin. Two, two's good, three, it's all right. A hundred, that's, that's too much violin. We've all been given different parts, he says. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It takes all sorts of different forms. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And then if anyone serves, so he just, he, he, he breaks all these gifts down into just two general categories, speaking and serving. He's like, I can't list them all. I'll just put them in two general camps, the, using your mouth and then just using the rest of your body to serve. There's all sorts of different parts a person can play, ways that they can serve, different gifts. And that's what Paul says when he uses the analogy of the body, that we are many parts yet of one body. And he said back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body were an ear, where, where would the sense of sight be? We're all different parts, but we are one body. If we were all one body or all one part, where would the body be? And the answer is, well, nowhere. God has made different parts. And so I, 
I say that because I think that many of us expend a lot of time and energy thinking about what we are not. You ever done that? Focusing on what you are not and what you don't have and what you see that person has, who that person is, and going, well, wouldn't that be nice? We need to stop focusing on who we are not and what we don't have and start thinking about who we are. What God has given to us. We need to stay in our lane, so to speak. Now that's a term. You heard the term stay in your lane? No. Is anyone with me? You heard stay in your lane before? Okay, all right. And I, I didn't really, wasn't really sure what that meant. Uh, I, I Googled it and I thought it was a football thing. But, but maybe it's about driving and not going into someone, minding your own business. Mind your own business. Don't get in someone else's lane because in someone else's lane there's crashes and bad things happen. Mind your own business. I thought it was a football term because I think of all of life through the prism of football because football is God's game. Any amens? Any amens? Think about it. 12 men on the side in the field? 12 disciples? You think that's a coincidence? Do you think that's a coincidence one? That is not a coincidence. It's God's game. Anyway, I, I remember back when I played high school football in Alberta, I can still hear it. Uh, Coach Skelton, Hildebrand, stay in your lane. Still rings in my ears. And what he meant was, you know, when you kick off the ball in football, you have, tw- you have 12 players lined across the field, and that ball gets kicked off, and then all those 12 players run. And the temptation is to f- see wherever the ball lands and everybody to run to that point. And what happens when everybody, what happens when all those 12 players all run to the ball? Anybody know? The re- yep, the other team scores a touchdown. But everybody runs to the ball. Because what happens? A few good blocks, the rest of the field is open. He just tails around the end. He's gone for six points. Oh, the temptation is always to see where the ball ends, and everyone runs for the ball. But that's not what you're supposed to do. Hildebrand, stay in your lane. Which means, listen, that person over there needs to stay in their lane. And if this person stays in their lane, and if you stay in your lane, and you run straight down the field, you have the greatest likelihood that you're going to tackle that runner way back there. Stay in your lane. Right? We've all been given, I guess, a lane, and the, and, and, and the temptation is maybe to look at someone else's lane or r- run out of it. But we each have our own part, our own lane. And God is saying to us, hey, whatever lane I've put you in, stay in your lane. Each one, each one in their own lane. I mean, Paul, Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, you are God's workmanship. Now that word workmanship in the Greek, that that is the word used of of an artist sculpting a a statue. He said, God has sculpted you. He has shaped you. You have been created in Christ Jesus. That means, you know, you have received new life through faith in Christ when when, when you gave yourself to him, when you invited him into the center. God gave you new life so that you would do the good works which he prepared when? Prepared in advance. 
way beforehand, God had prepared for you. He had designed you. He'd made a lane for you. He'd made you a part to play that you might play that. In other words, God has shaped each of us with our own plan and our own good purpose, which he's prepared for us that we might walk in it. Each part is different and each part is important. Each part is important. I learned that, I'm not much of a musician, but in grade eight, I, I uh, was in the band in grade eight and I chose to play the trumpet. But there were a few other trumpeters, really good trumpeters on either side of me. So I figured I don't really have to play. I don't really have to learn this thing. So I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't really, I didn't do the homework. I didn't learn. I didn't really give anything to, to playing the trumpet. I actually just mouthed it the whole year. I did not play the trumpet, but it looked like I was playing the trumpet. Until we came to the big finale, like the big concert, and guess which two people got sick? Trumpeter left and trumpeter right. There was one trumpet left. And the song began with a trumpet solo. <laughs> anyway, it was terrible. It was terrible. And, and it became pretty clear that I, I did not learn how to play the trumpet. I uh, had put no effort into that. Um, I didn't think it was all that important. But Peter is saying there's no such thing as an unimportant part. In that symphony, there is no such thing as an unimportant part. Some are closer to the front, to the center. Some are further to the edges. But there is no such thing as an unimportant part. He kind of puts it this way. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, what he's not saying is, Rusty, when you get up there and preach, you tell those people that these are God's words. You disagree with what I have to say. You disagree with God. He's not saying, treat yourself like you're an oracle. That's what he's saying. He's saying, whatever you're going to speak, when you use your gifts, bring to it the seriousness of purpose with which you would bring if you spoke the very words of God. Treat it like that. Which is a way of saying, give it your best. Put everything into it. I think that's what he means when he goes on. He says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. I think it's a way of Peter saying, listen, whatever you're going to do, serve in the nursery, greet at the door, whatever your part is, do it with all the strength you can muster. Give it your best. There's no such thing as an unimportant part. Don't belittle the significance of any act of service. He's saying, you know, back in March of this year, I can't remember exactly what day, it was a Sunday, and... Uh, I, I met a woman, and, and her story was this. This woman uh, was, had been in town not terribly long, had gone through some difficult things, and often would drive by the church and felt like she should go in there, just felt this pull, but just couldn't muster the courage to do it. It was kind of a scary thing. And so week after week, she would just drive by and wasn't able to turn in. But one week, she worked up the courage to come, and she... On a Sunday morning, turned into the parking lot. She came and she parked, got out of her car and walked to the front door. And as soon as she opened that door, on the second step in, she just saw all these strange people. I, I, like people she didn't know, is what I mean. 
There, there, some of you are strange, but I, what I mean is a group of people she didn't know. And she froze. Right away, she said, no, no, this, I, I shouldn't do this. And, and uh, she was afraid, and she turned back to grab the door, and then a, a hand on the shoulder. Tony Martens's hand. And I can brag on him because he's not here. I would never compliment someone to their face. I just... He was the greeter at that door that morning. And right away, he recognized her unease. And as soon as she turned, he, he made the quick trip, touched her arm, and whatever he did put her at ease, and he welcomed her in. And right away, he brought her to his wife, Marilyn Martens, and connected them. And she stayed for the service, and uh, I met her after that service for the very first time. And, and she just spoke about, she, she told me that story and spoke of how wonderful it was to be here. She said, I'm coming back. Is, is that person here? I don't know if she's here this morning. She, she, I, I asked her permission. I normally don't ask people's permission when I talk about them. But, but, but she said she'd be glad to. That, that was Judy Acoin. That, that, that's post office Judy. If you ever go on into the post office, you'll likely meet post office Judy. And when you meet her, you say, welcome to the family. Anyway, she, 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 um, she had come, and, and I chatted with her, and she said, uh, this was great. I'm definitely coming back. This is what I need. You won't see me next Sunday because I'm going on a trip. I said, oh, that's great. I'm actually going on a trip too. Oh, cool. So I get, I get on my flight to go to Phoenix on Tuesday. Eric and I are the last people on the flight. And I go, and there's one seat left. That's my seat. And guess who's sitting right beside me, my seatmate? Postmaster Judy. And I did the math, and I said, you know what? That's how many people are in Manitoba? 1.2 million? The odds of that are about 1.2 million. But I don't think that's a coincidence. She didn't think so either. Anyway. It all started with a greeter who gave their best. Okay. Each one doing their part. There is no such thing as an insignificant part to play in the band. Each part gives its best to strengthen and build up the whole. And if each one of our church, in our church gives their God-given best to play their God-given heart, we will be like that symphony. Can you imagine 400 people, 400 people all playing their part to the best of their ability? Can you imagine what God could do? I think it'd be pretty incredible. Choose a cause. Commit to serve. This is what we believe, and this is, I think, what Peter is saying. You will find the greatest satisfaction and significance when you are using your spiritual gifts to serve others. So what we call each and every one of you to is to commit to serve. Now, that can take so many different forms. There are so many different ways to serve, even in the life of this church. Um, and this is our Serve Team Sunday. Now, we've given it that name because we're kind of using some new terminology around here. We've kind of 
rebranded a lot of our ministry teams, and we're calling them serve teams because we think those are two important words. There's so many different ways to serve, different ways, but it's all serving. And isn't it wonderful to serve in the context of a team? Not alone, but together with other like-minded, passionate people. Serve teams. And so we're calling our, our, our teams around the church here serve teams. And there's so many different serve teams. When you go out of the foyer after the service, you've already seen them. There's a bunch of tables out there that represent um, many of the different serve teams in our church. Represent many of the different ways that you can use your gifts to serve others and to bring God glory. Uh, some, of those, some of those serve teams are pretty familiar to you. You know, the welcome team and um, the children's ministry team and the youth team and worship team. Uh, but but there, there's some new teams out there, some new tables that we're, that we're developing. The marriage support team. Some of you might feel called to, you, you've been married a little while, you've learned some things, and you'd like to pass that on. You'd like to be a marriage mentor help other couples who are coming along. Marriage support teams, hospitality teams. Hey, may, maybe, you, you maybe can't teach, but maybe you can cook. Maybe you can cook a bunch of food to facilitate conversations and interactions where marriages are, are changed, people's lives are changed. Maybe you can do that. Maybe, Maybe you got a car in some time and you can be a part of the transportation team to pick up a bunch of teenagers. Yuck. I'm sorry, guys. I, forgive me up there. You guys are awesome. Love teenagers. I got one in my house now. You may, you, you may have got time to just, just to help take a bunch of teenagers to their events on Friday nights. Be a driver. You can do that. What is it God has given you that you can use to serve one another? So as you go out here in a few minutes um, after the service ends, and, and you can see in your bulletin what some of those major areas are, this is what I invite you to do. I mean, you could just rush out here to get a table at your restaurant, your favorite restaurant, so you don't have to wait. That's, you could do that. But this is what I want to encourage everyone to do. I want you to go out there, and, and some of you, you're already involved in that, and that's great. But, but I encourage all of you to go out there and walk and talk and pray. And maybe that prayer goes with you home. These, this is all going to be up next week as well. Walk, talk, pray, and then choose to serve using whatever God has given you to help others. Walk, talk, pray, and then choose to serve. If you need a little, help, a little direction with that, in between these two sets of foyer doors, there's a sign there. It says, Serve Team Center. Pastor John will be there. One of Pastor John's passions is to connect uh, people, their gifts, to the right fit of serving. So if you, just, if, if, if you want to serve, you're just not really sure the best way for you to serve, go speak with Pastor John at that table. I know in the coming uh, weeks, he's going to be doing a seminar on finding your fit in serving, which you might benefit from as well. But he's available uh, to you there. Um, Choose to serve. I, w I, wonder, I wonder if Peter, he's, when, he, he, when he's writing um, this letter, First Peter, he's an old man. I, and I wonder if, 
when he's writing this, he's thinking back to that time years earlier when he was a young man, when he was around that table eating with Jesus and the other disciples. And they're just having this great meal. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he gets a wash basin and he takes a towel and he gets on his knees and he assumes the position of the lowliest servant and he grabs Peter's foot and he starts washing Peter's foot. And Peter says, whoa, what are you doing, Lord? No, 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 no. That's not how this is supposed to work. No. It's recorded for us in John chapter 13. Jesus says, Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I wonder if that was in his head all those years later when he said, love one another deeply, serve one another. He remembered when Jesus got down and grabbed his foot and washed his feet. I wonder if he remembered that occasion when a few of the disciples were vying for places of prominence there in the group. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 10 and Jesus, or Matthew chapter 20 and And Jesus assembles his disciples together and he says, you know, hey, that the rulers of the world, they lord their power over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Just as a son of man, in speaking about himself, just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wonder if he was thinking back to that time, to those words. Our Lord, our King, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, he is a servant king. He's a king who gets down on his knees, assumes the position of the lowest, even to laying down his very life for us. Our Jesus is a servant king. He says, I've not come to be served, but I've come to serve and give my life for you. I mean, service, hey, by its very nature, it's sacrificial. That's what it is. There's no other way. It involves a laying down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a cost to serve. It's sacrificial by nature as it was for Jesus. But in his kingdom, we are called to do the same. After he had washed Peter's feet, he said to the disciples in John 13, he said, a new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you so you ought to also love one another. We love one another by serving one another. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. In God's kingdom, you find your greatest satisfaction and significance when you're using the gifts that God has given you to serve others. So friends, brothers and sisters, may we be those who make the choice again and again and again, the commitment to serve. And as we kind of just take this home or thinking about this, here's just a few questions for you to ponder, okay? What has God put into your hands and into your heart that you can use to serve others? And, and maybe you need to think outside the box a little bit. 
like those farmers did. What has God put into your hands and into your heart that you can use to serve others? Because you all have gifts. What is one way that you can begin to use those gifts to serve others? Just think about that this week. What would be one step in the direction of service using what God has given to you? I encourage you to ponder that. And I want to give you an opportunity right now just to kind of pray where you are silently. If you want to bow your head, the worship team is going to come up here and lead us in one final song. But we just want to take a moment here to pray. And I invite you to close your eyes, bow your head, and uh, just take a moment to thank God for making you you. Thank God for shaping you and having a plan and a purpose for you. Just take a minute to thank him. For the gifts he has given you. Then take a moment and just, um, I mean, if you want, you don't have to. Uh, but I invite you just to take a moment and, and to say to God, God, uh, reveal to me what these gifts are that you've given to me. And show me how I can use them to serve others and to serve you. Why don't you just ask God to show you what those gifts are, to show you how you can use them. Take a moment to do that. Don't stop praying that. Bring that prayer home with you this week. Lord, we thank you that you are servant king. That when you came down here, Jesus, you came down in order to give yourself for us, to lay yourself down so that we could have life, the fullest of life. We thank you for that love that caused you to serve. And you call us to, to love one another as you have loved us. It's a high calling. involves sacrifice. But Lord, we, we, we believe that um, we were made for that. We, will made, we, we believe that we will discover our purpose for being when we are using those things you have given us to serve one another. That's where we will find satisfaction. And that's where we will find significance and we want to lead that sort of life and so i just pray father that as we go from here that um, each one of us would continue that conversation with you that we would listen to you that you would show us what you have given to us that we are a steward of and that you would show us how we can use that grace to serve one another and to bring you glory that we pray in jesus name why don't you stand and we'll close with one final song.